Take your Bibles this morning for the few minutes that remain and turn with us, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Sister Sarah, we were so thrilled to hear your report and thank you for sharing that with us today. If you'd like to know more about Sarah's ministry, she's got a table right up here, as you can see, and she'll be up here after the service. And uh, don't forget to stop by and look at some of her, uh, her display there and see any questions for her. And let her know you are indeed praying for her. We do pray for you on Wednesday nights here. And uh, every time you send out one of your prayer lists, we always comment on uh, what an amazing prayer list you always send. I remember one particular one you sent one time. You were... Uh, I think it might have been the time you fell. It was sometime you had got hurt. And you just mentioned in passing that you had fallen and you were, you were bedcast or something. And then you listed this great long list of prayer requests, which were, you know, for other people, all for other people. And then the very last one, you said, oh, and by the way, pray that I'll feel better. Or, or something like that. And we were so touched by that. And so we thank you for that. Well, Second Corinthians chapter 6 this morning. Oh, by the way, Jonathan Edwards sends his regrets. He's not going to be with us today. So you're stuck with me today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, let's start reading in verse number 1. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything, but that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulation, in, distri- in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, and I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. And walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I pray now that you would fill me with your spirit as I try uh, to, to bring forth these thoughts that you laid on my heart. And I pray you fill us all with your spirit to hear. Give us ears to hear. Give me words to say. Help me to say only what you have said. Protect me from saying anything I ought not. Bless the message. Use it. We believe in the Holy Spirit, Father, and we pray that he would take, just take control of this part of the service as he has the others so far. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, this morning I'd like to take a little trip down memory lane, and I'd like to pull something out of the history of our church. Since our guest speaker decided to not be with us this morning, I thought we'd go back and we'd do something historical from the history of French Bible Church. You know, it's important for us to think about our history. And it's one of the reasons we do this every year, this time in September, is to remind ourselves of where we have come from and uh, what has been paid and the costs and things like that that have uh, gone on to give us the benefits that we enjoy today. Uh, you should have received a little brief historical timeline in your bulletin this morning. And I'm not going to read that this morning, but I hope you will, because it does give a kind of a flavor of uh, where we have come from as a church. Uh, as far as we know, it's accurate. It's very, very difficult to get some of these things really nailed down. Uh, but we do think that it was in 1812 when Deacon William Churchill first appeared on the scene and seems to have been, uh, if not the person who started the church, certainly instrumental in that. Uh, we do know that it was in 1819 that it seems the first actual church was organized. Uh, those dates are a little bit unclear, but we think 1819, other than the Randolph Baptist Church. We know nothing really about that other than the fact that Churchill was involved in that. We know that in 1828, he pulled them out of that and founded the Disciples Church, uh, which was uh, based on the writings of Alexander and Thomas Campbell and uh, the Campbellites and the Restoration Movement. And it was during that time that uh, the, the charter members' words were penned. And we actually have this original document. We were just looking at it yesterday. Uh, but the statement that was said then, I think, could be said of us today. I don't think really anything has changed. I hope nothing has changed about this. But it was then, uh, July 20th, 1828, that they set their pen to a piece of paper and signed their names to this declaration. On this day came forward the baptized disciples of Jesus Christ our Lord and acknowledged him to be their only teacher and lawgiver and the Holy Scriptures to be their only guide and agreed to maintain Christian worship according to the aforesaid declaration. In 1830, we believe the first actual building was built. Uh, as far as we know, that was not here. We think it was where the Napa store is today where the post office is today. There is evidence that there was a building there uh, that was this church. In 1845, there was a church split. Churches don't split, do they? In 1845, there was a church split. Save that thought. We're going to come back to that one in just a minute. In 1860, it says here that the current church building was erected. Since then, I've found some other documents. I don't think this is quite accurate. I think there might actually have been two churches that were erected on this very same spot. And I think the 1861 was the first and this one, I believe, was built in 1875, but it's difficult to know absolutely for certain about that. And we think this actually 1875. In 1928, the church celebrated its 100th anniversary, at least as the Disciples' Church. You know, in uh, 2019, which is coming up, by all, you know, from everything we know, that will be our 200th anniversary, our bicentennial. So we should start planning now about a really, 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 really big old-fashioned Sunday in 2019. In July 2009 is when it became Friendship Bible Church, pulling out of the Disciples of Christ denomination and becoming an independent church. So all those things are of interest, and it helps us to get an idea of where we have come from. But I want us this morning to concentrate on one little thing in there. Did you notice that 1845 church split? Did you notice that? That's a very interesting thing. That uh, uh, There's very little information that we can find about that. Uh, I found a book that had something about it. I actually mentioned this particular church in it. And it used the phrase, come-outers. We were a come-outer church. 
And I find that very, very interesting. Come outers. Now, in our wicked generation, that particular phrase has taken on a different meaning. And in our wicked generation, if we call someone a come outer, we would be referring to people who stop hiding their sin and come out and flagrantly uh, let it be known to all. Uh, boldly bringing out in the open. That is not what was meant in 1845. That is not what this church was talking about, or when people were talking about when they called this a come out or church. You know, frankly, I'm tired of people taking perfectly good words and co-opting them to mean something else. How many would say amen to that? I'm getting sick of that. And so today I refuse to cow to that, and we're going to use the word as it was originally meant to be used. This was, and I would suggest is, a come out or church. And according to the Merriam-Webster online dictionary, come-outers, that particular term meant primarily two things. It meant, number one, a person who withdraws from something established. For example, a religious body. You come out of a particular denomination or a particular sect. That would be a come-outer. Another way it is used or was used is a person who advocates political reform. Webster puts the first known use of the term around 1840, and so that fits perfect with the fact that we see it was applied to this particular church. Now, with respect to, to Friendship Bible Church, Randolph Christian Church, Disciples Church, Randolph Baptist Church, all those different things, this body of Christ that has been here since whenever, 1819, with respect to this church, I think we could put both of those definitions to use, couldn't we? Because at various times in our history, we have seen this church come out from whatever denomination or sect or group they were with because of the fact that they deemed they had that denomination had strayed from the Bible as sole authority. That would be the reason in 1828 that they came out and became the Disciples Church. And frankly, that would be the reason why in 2009 we came out and became the Friendship Bible Church. And so we could make that case that the term come outers was applied to this church for that reason, but I don't think that's the main one. And actually the the, 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 the historical stuff I've found would say something different. The historical information would seem to indicate come out or as applied to us had to do with slavery. The issue of slavery and abolitionism. Abolitionism, is that a word? Abolitionism. You see, during the terrible Civil War years in this country, there were some who believed you could be somewhat against slavery and really just a little bit for it. Not totally against that. A church, for example, might preach against slavery and might, might, in principle, say slavery is an evil, wicked, rotten thing. But they also might allow slaveholders or slave sympathizers to be members of their church, to stand in their pulpits, to be officers, deacons. This church, a come out of church, believed the opposite. This church believed you can't dabble with sin like that. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's sin, then it's sin. And you need to come out and completely get away from it. Any association with slavery was therefore deemed to be unacceptable and incompatible with Christianity. And probably every one of us in here today would say amen, wouldn't we? Nowadays, when slavery is universally considered repugnant, and everybody would be disgusted at the very concept of it, it seems almost astonishing, doesn't it, that such a thought would split a church. And yet apparently it did. A significant church split is the way I read it. I mean, the church was direly divided and took many, many years to recover from this particular issue. There were some, apparently, who preferred to keep one foot in the door of slavery and sin and one foot in the church. And there were others, the come-outers, 
who suggests the opposite. Now, our text for today speaks to this very issue. Our text for today is verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. This is the verse they were using. This is where the phrase came from. We as believers are to come out and be separate. Come out. And so I want to spend just a few minutes to remain thinking about how this applies to us in 2014. It applied in 1845. It also applies in 2014. And as we consider the text, I want us to think about two key thoughts. And I'm hoping this is what you'll take away. If you, if you don't hear anything else today, I hope you'll, you'll take these thoughts away and, and remember it from 2014's Old Fashioned Sunday. This church was a come-outer church, and we must always be. That's number one. And number two, those Christians who 150 years ago sat where you sit today were come out of Christians. And so too must we be. So let's look at this text. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And let's look at it in two different ways. Let's look at it first of all like this. Come out is how one behaves as a Christian. Come out is how one behaves as a Christian. And this, of course, the primary interpretation. This passage is written to Christians. It's about Christians. It's not for lost people. It's written to people who have trusted Christ, been born again, converted, people who are believers. And so, therefore, come out is how one behaves as a Christian. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, you know that's in the very first word of the, of the verse, don't you? Therefore. What have we said in the past about the word Therefore. Whenever we're looking at the Bible, there are certain questions that come to our mind. There are certain flags that jump out, right? There are certain ways that help us to interpret what Scripture means. And one of the things you've heard us say a lot here is that any time you come across that word, therefore, in the Bible, you ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? Because it takes us back. It makes us look back to the verses that precede. It helps us to look at the context. It helps us to see the answer to the question, why is he saying this? And in this case, we simply look at the verse immediately preceding. It all becomes clear. Look at verse number 16. Verse 16 says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The Apostle Paul was saying, You are Christians. You are Christians. You have been indwelt by the living God. He dwells in you. Walks among you. He is your God. You are his people. Therefore... Come out from among them and be separate. So he's talking about Christians. He's saying if you are a Christian, if you are saved, if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, then you ought to be a come-outer. Because Christians come out. It's how Christians behave. Now, it tells us two different aspects here, doesn't it, of how we do this, of, uh, of this matter of coming out, or two different things maybe that we ought to come out from. It says come out from among them. Do you see that? And it also says come out from among things. Things. People and things. Isn't that usually the problem? People and things come out from among them. We must come out from people who would hinder us in our walk with God. And if you look back a couple of verses even further, it becomes plain. Paul's talking about our relationships with people. I won't read them, but look at verses 14 and 15. You can see those verses. They're all talking about people. People that can influence a Christian's life. Unbelieving people. Lawless people. Dark people. Satanic people. All described there. He says, come out from among them, from among people such as them, and be separate. Now, we usually quote verse number 14. How does verse number 14 start? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't we usually quote that with respect to marriage? 
How many of you have heard a sermon preached about marriage from that particular passage of Scripture? Marriage or marital relationships do not be unequally yoked. And, and actually, we should. That's perfectly accurate. It's perfectly fine because it, it does apply. It does mean that. It's clear teaching from the Scriptures, not only here but everywhere throughout the Bible, that Christians should not marry non-Christians. Believers should marry believers. That's why young people... And by the way, anybody knows we have three rows of young people up here this morning? That's why, young people, you ought not to, you ought not to date someone who's not saved. You shouldn't do it. And look at them, there's not a one of them saying the same thing, they're just looking at me, blank faces. And yet every single one of them is screaming in their head right now. Every single one of them. And they're sitting there, I can hear these howls of protest. They're saying, preacher, come on, we're not talking about marriage here, I just want to date, I just want to go to the mall, I just want to go and have a good time. What's the harm of that? Famous last words. Because you know what happens? You're going to look into her eyes. Across the dinner table one time, I guess it's probably the McDonald's table, wouldn't it? You're going to look into her eyes. Or maybe your hand is going to brush up against hers or his in the mall. And this little spark is going to fly. And you know what? Within a heartbeat, ten years will have gone by, you'll have three kids. And you'll be unequally yoked. You'll be unequally yoked. And it sounds humorous, but it will cause heartache, and it will cause stress, and it will shake the very foundations of your lives. Don't date those who aren't saved. My wife likes antiques. She especially likes antiques, antique art, it seems. We have several old pictures in our house hanging on our walls. One time she came across a series of postcards, and I don't know if anybody's visited our home may have seen them. A series of postcards that uh, were done by the same artist who did this series, and there's six of the series, and they tell a story. And she managed to collect all six of these postcards, and she got them framed, and they hang in our home. If you look at the very first postcard, it shows a young couple sitting and dreamily looking into each other's eyes. And the the, the little caption at the bottom of the postcard says, The Proposal. And then you look at the second one, and it shows the young lady trying on a wedding dress. And the caption says, The Trousseau. And the third is captured the wedding, the fourth the honeymoon, the fifth the first evening in their own home. And then finally, the last postcard shows them both leading... Uh, with these loving eyes over, the, over a crib, and the caption says, their new love. And that's the way it works. Just that quick. It's a natural progression. It all starts with that look. It all starts with that first agreement to go out. And so you need to save yourself that heartache. You need to say no. You need to say no to anybody who would not be saved. Unequal yoke. Never allow it to occur. You know, I think the safest thing that any Christian single can do is to just make a covenant between themselves, between God, between anybody else, that they're never going to date somebody that's not a believer. Just don't even do it. Just don't even try it. Not even once, because you never know when those sparks will fly. And just as fast as you can read the captions on six postcards, you can have a real problem for the rest of your life. Well, marriage is how we normally use those verses. But you know what? That's not what those verses are really about. That's really not what it's talking about. That's an application we can make from it. But the actual meaning is broader. Those verses refer simply to believers versus unbelievers in general. Marriage is just one way to apply it. As Christians, we are to become outers. We are to come out from among people who would hinder our walk with God and our relationship with God. Now, this is not about evangelism. Don't go out of here and tell anybody I said that. That's not what we're talking about. We are to come out from among people who would hinder our walk with God, but we're also to go to those 
who are lost with the gospel. I don't know how anybody could think this church doesn't want to go uh, and reach people evangelistically. Uh, We're trying to reach every door in Randolph. We've got teams that are doing it now. We're trying to support a nation, every nation of the world. We're, We're close. We're very, very close to having done that. Supported every single nation of this world. Uh, with a donation to advance the gospel. So it's not about evangelism. It's about communion. It's about who you spend your time with. It's about, uh, it's about who you fellowship with. It's about the friendships we keep as Christians. It's about relationships that lead not to, re- to evangelism, but to the degradation of our own walk with God. So many Christians never seem to progress in their faith. Have you ever noticed that? It's a, it's a real question. So many people make a profession of faith, and then they never seem to take another step. Nothing ever changes. Nothing ever happens to make them go any further in their walk with God. Oh, they might attend church once in a while, but other than that, there's little or no indication that they're any different from the lost people around them. Why is that? Why is that? Well, one reason is because a lot of times people just simply aren't saved. You know, there's a reason that the Bible says we'll have to examine ourselves whether we be in faith. Sometimes we need to really wonder, hey, there's no change in me. Nothing's happening here. I'm the same as I ever was. I have no interest in the things of God. Examine yourself and you'll be in the faith. That's what the Bible says. Maybe, maybe it wasn't real. Maybe you never really got converted. So sometimes that's the case. But you know, I think in many other cases where a person truly has trusted Christ and seen little or no growth in their life, it's, it has to do with who they hang around with. It has to do with their associations, their relationships. You see, if you're a Christian... Your friends ought to be Christians. You ought to hang with Christians. Those who influence you ought to be Christians. I never understand why Christians don't go to church. I confess that it's a real enigma to me. Here, God has given us the church to solve this very problem. I like what Sarah said on that one slide where she quoted, was it Thessalonians you quoted from, when we talked about how we need one another and how you miss the fellowship when there was, not when it was missing. God has given us the church to provide us those very things, right relationships, valuable, helpful associations. That's why Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approach. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, another great place to go and look at that very topic. We need right associations. We need other Christians. We need each other. It's just not possible for a Christian to grow apart from other believers. So what we need are some come-outers. You see it there? What we need are some come-outers. We need Christians who will say that when the church gathers, I'll be there, for I know that is how I will grow. And I know that when I choose rather to associate and spend time with non-Christians, it has the opposite effect on me and God helping me. I will be a come-outer. We need that. Come out from among them and be saved. There's another thing it says here. Touch not, or it says, come out from among them, the people. But it also says, touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean. Sorry, my King James slipped back into me there. King James says, touch not the unclean thing. And there's another obvious truth that's taught here. And that's that not only do we come out from people who would affect us, but we come out from things. We come out from things. And I just want you to hold, up, hold that thought for a minute. We'll come back to it in a minute. Because I want us to see something else here. But those two things, as Christians, we are to come out from. People who would lead us astray. And things that would lead us astray. And certainly, 
Every one of us in this room who's trusted Christ knows there are things in our life that hold us back. Hold us back. But hold that thought. Because we were talking about the fact that come out is how one behaves as a Christian. Let me, let me mention one other thing and we'll be done. Come out is also how one becomes a Christian in the first place. Come out is how one becomes a Christian in the first place. There is no other way. There is no other way. In order to be saved, my Bible says, one must repent of their sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Those two things. Come out. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Paul was describing his message, his preaching, his manner of ministry in Acts chapter 20. And he said, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. You've got to be a come outer. Repent and believe. Those are the two things that are necessary if one would become a Christian. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. In order for a person to be saved, in order to be born again, to be assured of heaven, you must repent and believe. And to repent of your sins simply means to agree with God about it and turn away from it. That's all it means. No, no magic to the word. It means to come out from your sin. It means to come out from anything that keeps us from God. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Did you catch the promise? Did you hear the good part? He says there to the come-outers, I will receive you. He says to the come-outers, I will be a father to you. He says to the come-outers, you will be my sons and daughters. Come-outers. It's the only way to behave when you're a Christian. But it's also a pretty stinking good explanation of how one becomes a Christian in the first place. Oh, some need to repent of their sin. Some need to say, I'll be a come-outer today. Some need to say, I'll believe, because you never have. Be saved today. Well, notice that the same two truths apply to this thought is applied to the last. People and things. What keeps us from being this kind of a come-out? What keeps us from becoming a Christian? What keeps us from coming to Christ in the first place? People and things. It's usually one of those two things. Come out from among them. Many people don't come to Christ because of people. People. There's somebody in your life or somebody's in your life that keep you away. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's peers. Maybe it's neighbors. Co-workers. I don't know. People keep some from Christianity. I can't walk that aisle, preacher. Why? What would people think? A lot of people think that way. People keep them from Christ. I'd turn my life over to Jesus if it weren't for my friends. What would they think? If it weren't for my parents, what would they think? My parents, Pastor, were raised in a, in a completely different faith. It would hurt them if I trusted Christ. People keep us from Christ. Our brothers and sisters who have been raised in Islam, and I imagine that Sarah is very familiar with this, are unbelievably used to this. How many are held in the bondage of that horrible, false religion because of the fact that they are afraid of what other people will say or do? Just a few weeks ago, we showed the movie God is Not Dead here. If you have not seen that movie, I still recommend you see that movie. It's a wonderful, wonderful gospel movie, God is Not Dead. But there is a character in that movie who was an Islamic 
a girl raised in an Islamic home. And she trusted Christ. And she was thrown out of her home as a result. The fact is, hell is full of people, and millions more are pouring into it. People who have heard the gospel and know all about it, they believe it is even true, but they've never responded to it because of their fear of what other people might think. People. But you know what? I'm convinced of something. I'm convinced that if you have heard the gospel and not responded to it, you're in more danger of hell than the most wicked person who has heard on the face of the earth. Or has not heard, I mean. Boy, I messed that sentence up. But you know what I'm saying. If you've heard and not responded, you're in danger. Far more danger than the person who maybe has never heard. Because the Bible describes you as being without excuse. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20 describes the person who knows the truth about God and doesn't act upon it. And he he or she is described therein as being, quote, without excuse. End quote. Jesus had something to say about those who heard about him and yet didn't respond. He said in John chapter 15, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Why? Because they've heard. And they have not responded. The man or the woman, the boy or the girl, in greatest danger of hell, is not the one who has not heard. It's the one who has heard and has not responded. It's that person that Jesus said is without excuse. Are you that person? You've heard it. Have you responded? Have you trusted Christ? Have you said, I will believe? Are you that one? You know, you have to be a come-outer. If you're going to be saved, you have to be willing to come out from those people who would come you back, you have to, who would hold you back. You have to choose Christ. You have to choose Christ over all others. You have to be a come-outer. The Bible tells me in Luke chapter 14 that great multitudes went after Jesus. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now Jesus was not telling us to hate our parents. We know that. He wasn't telling us to hate anybody. Jesus never said that. What he was telling us was quite simply that we need to let nothing stand between us and him. Let no person hinder us. In coming to him. Let not people hinder. So who's keeping you lost? Who is the person that's keeping you from heaven and pointing you toward hell? We have altar calls in this church, and you know, they're a wonderfully visual way to look at this. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about that. Because the, the song is sung, and the invitation is given, and people literally come out, not very often, but they do come out and they turn their life over to Christ. So, we need to become outers. If you haven't done it, you need to be saved. Don't let people hinder it. Now, one other thing it says here is touch not the unclean thing. People aren't the only hindrance to coming to the Savior. There are things that keep people from Jesus. Things that people choose rather than Him. We love our sin, don't we? We love it. We don't want to give it up. And many will die and go to hell simply because they will not give up something that they're just holding on to. Probably all heard the story of the monkey and the jar. And we heard that story. It's a good story. It's me. It's you. It's all of us. We're all the monkey. You know the story. The monkey was tossed the jar that had these candy in it. 
jar had a little narrow neck on it. Stuck his arm down in the jar and went to read. This is actually true. This is actually something you could do if you had a monkey. Uh, Sticks his arm in there and he grabs hold of a piece of candy. Well, then he can't get his arm back out because the neck of the jar is too small. And he stands there and he screams and he flings around and he runs all over the room and he hollers and bashes the thing around. All he has to do is let go of the piece of candy in the jar and his hand will come right out, but a monkey won't do that. A monkey will hold on to that thing until you bust that thing off or somehow get the thing off of his hand. What a picture. What a picture of us. We love our sin. We don't want to give up our sin. We hold on to our sin, even if it's keeping us away from Jesus Christ and heaven and eternal life. We have several teams that are working on reaching Randolph right now. And I, I'm, I'm filled to death that we have so many that are going out. It's, it's been a good thing. Just this past week, Brother Sean and I knocked on a couple of doors. We, we found almost nobody home this particular time, but we knocked on a few. And in one particular door, a young lady came to the door. And see, Sean will remember this young lady because both of us will probably break out in a sweat the minute we think about this young lady who came to the door. Because she was mean. And I don't know what it is about women. Can you, ladies, can you help me with this? Why is it that women, when they're mean, are more terrifying than men? You know, if, if a man had come to the door and done to us what this woman did, we'd have been walking back to the door to the car just kind of to do it to ourselves and not too upset about it, but we both walked that back to that car with our heads hanging down, and you, well, you would have thought we just had beat. But you know what? All the, the only thing that happened at this door was we knocked on the door. This young lady came to the door. And I mentioned to her that we were from Friendship Bible Church, and we just wanted to let her know that there's a church. And before I could even get the sentence out, she looked at me with this icy look and said, I'm busy. And she turned her back on us and walked away. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but we just, we were just, hmm. it, was, it was terrible. It really was. But you know what I thought? As I've been thinking about that ever since. I've been thinking about that woman. Too busy. Too busy to even listen to a sentence. Can't even get a sentence out. Too busy. Too busy to give Jesus even a thought. Too busy with the things of this life to listen at all to the truth about eternity. Things keep us away from Jesus. And so what about you today? Are there things that keep you from Jesus Christ? Things that you're unwilling to come out from. If so, oh, you need to come out today. You need to turn away from them. And you need to ask yourself what things could be more important to you than your soul. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Be a come out. Be a come out. Come away from the things that are damning you. And turn to the Savior who wants to save you. And do it today. Well, I'm done. But let me conclude with the way I started. Let me mention the two thoughts that I hope you'll come away from this entire day thinking. And that is this. This church was and has been for 195 years a Kanata church. And all church we must always be. Let us never let that get away. Let us always be a Kanata church. And those Christians who years and years and years ago sat in the very places, not the exact chairs, but in the very places where you sit now, were come out of Christians. And so too must we be. You know, one of these days soon Jesus is coming again. Amen.
The Bible describes the first part of that wonderful process as the rapture, the rapture of the church. We believe Jesus will come as far as the clouds, and he's going to call us to be with him. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that we're going to rise to be with him, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. John, in Revelation chapter 4, described that exact event. And you know, he described it like this. He's talking figuratively here, but here's what he described it as. He said, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Friendship Bible Church, we must remain come outers. Christians, we must remain come outers. Let us ever come out from the people and things that would hinder us from serving our Lord Jesus Christ and let us remain come outers until we hear the call of our Savior and become not come outers but come uppers.